got another uh, podcast under our belt here where we talk about sexually fetishizing COVID tests. <laughs> that's, that's your thing, dude. That's two. <laughs> that's two. Maybe that could be the theme for 2021. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eureka. <laughs> Eureka. Oh, this is a the whole next level, Brad. We're taking Thank it you. to the next level. Just, you know, I'm trying to keep you entertained, dude. Speaking of taking <laughs> things to the next level, I know that we uh, always, you know, ask people to like rate and review. We don't do it much, but... You know, I had called out to the going off track audience to not only review, but if and when you do review, please try to make it sexually explicit in the nature of a 1970s Teddy Pendergrass song. Mm. And Brad, the people have delivered. You've been checking yeah. those reviews? I saw I saw the two new ones. Yeah, I screenshotted you. That's how excited I was. <laughs> So thank you to the people listening who heard my calls and uh, and answered my requests. We got to put some fun into the world here, you know, some hilarity, some sexual freedom, some hot oils, all of it. You know what I'm saying, Brad? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And I made Landy <laughs> talk about this. I At first I was like, oh, no, I'm talking about this with Landy. And then she, she was she's so much fun. She's all about it. Oh, yeah. What a blast. What a good talk. But guess what? So as noted, and as you know, Landy's from Bristol in the UK. That's the United Kingdom. Yeah, in case you thought that was a Boston accent. There are different Bristol. There's a Bristol, Connecticut that a lot of Americans know because of, (laughs) I think that's where ESPN is. Uh, That's a different. Yeah, different Bristol. That's a different accent. Well, it was the same once. A few hundred years ago, but anyway, that's that's a whole nother story. But, you know, (laughs) Bristol is obviously known for Banksy. That's a big deal there. And I've been to Bristol and I've walked around the town and gone Banksy hunting. It's pretty fun. It's a fun town to walk around anyway. And then, you know, that great history of a music scene, particularly the kind of trippy music scene, like Tricky Mm. and Portishead, Massive Attack. You know, cool town as far as like, and when you walk around that town, it's got that kind of, it's got a vibe. It's a little alternative. It feels, feels like trip hop. A little. It's, it's just like, you know, you're in the UK. Sometimes it can start feeling pretty British baking show everywhere. You know, (laughs) Bristol's got like, it's got like a little edge to it. There's like skateboarders and graffiti artists and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is kind of like us, but oh. I have some fun facts about Bristol, Brad, that I didn't get to include in the interview. Can can Wait. I can I tell them to you? Fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you know that Bristol is the world's largest manufacturer of hot air balloons? No, I did not. Okay, it Do is. Do they test them there too? Because that would be fun. It seemed from the photos that they do seem to have a big like send off every year. You know, like some hot air balloon festival or something is there. Um, they also do one in central Jersey every year and a hot air balloon had to do an emergency landing in me and my mom's apartment complex. No. Yeah. I swear there's like, and there was a lot of room in there 
And they found just this one patch of grass. And before you know it, there's a fucking hot air balloon landing in the middle of the neighborhood. And, uh, and you know, people are coming out of their apartments to see it because it's, it's pretty unique. So, yeah, that did happen once. Um, hmm. Now, also in Bristol, the legendary pirate Blackbeard was from Bristol. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Pretty good one. And he had a hideout in Redcliffe Caves. Not bad. Is that near Bristol? It's in Bristol, I guess. Okay. You know. the, these are the fun facts I was going to have. So I could go to Redcliffe Caves, maybe, if I go to Bristol? I believe so. And we can go have some rum where, uh, wherever Blackbeard's mm. from. <laughs> and then, this is a strange one. Not unexpected. The first bungee jump in 1979 Whoa. off the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Damn, first bungee man. jump in Bristol. I associate these extreme sports with uh, us American idiots. Yeah, I would have guessed like, yeah, some Southern Californian yeah. or an Australian, you know, these you know, white people with nothing to lose, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, here's the fun, the, the most fun one. So there's a book bound with human skin that sits in a museum there called the M Shed. Yeah, there you go. Stop the record. So... So they had, I don't know, there's a famous house where they used to hang people. And the first Bristolian who was hung was an 18-year-old miner named John Horton from Hannum. He was accused of murdering his former girlfriend in 1821. His skeleton was not laid to rest until 190 years later because <laughs> a piece of the aforementioned John Horton is in a grisly exhibition there. The doctor who testified against this guy at the trial took possession for his body of his body for quote medical purposes and had <laughs> his skin tanned and used to bind a book. Oh, which now sits at in display at this museum in Bristol. How fucked up is that? Uh, how fucked up is it that he like stole the corpse's skin yeah, and then it, like they kept it and didn't bury it with him? Or and something. come on, I'm no historian, but if you testify against somebody, <laughs> then take their body and use it for fun shit like binding yeah, books. I think I'm that's, a, I'm a, I don't know about it, your credibility here. You know, <laughs> like like. Like, maybe you wanted this guy guilty because he had nice looking skin for your books. You know, who knows? Uh, People say the criminal justice system isn't better. It's still highly flawed. <laughs> but back in those days, you could just decide to testify against someone because you wanted to use their skin. Oh, that's really gross. You know, so Super shady. Yeah, that happened in Bristol. Those are my my facts about Bristol. And it's the home to our lovely guest. Yeah, who is just a pleasure to listen to and talk to. Yeah. And this uh, new record going to hell is really very uh, powerful. It caught me right away. And after maybe the second listen, I hit up Alex from get better records and said, is Landy cool? Would she want to talk to us? Because this music is awesome. So yeah. I was glad to talk about how it, how it got made and the powerful meaning behind it. And, uh, yeah, a lot of insight and a lot of laughs. I was not expecting to laugh in this episode as much <laughs> as I did. She's funny. Um, yeah. But, Brad, we have to talk about it, okay? We have it? to do it. We have a patron, <laughs> okay? The patron is how we fund this program. If you enjoy this program, 
please visit us at our patron, Patreon, patron. We do fun Patreon.com slash going off track. Yeah, we do fun stuff there. We post extra content. Uh, we post the secret conversations we have before and after the interviews that Brad sort of creepy and like a sting way <laughs> records and he sits all quiet and then posts it like three weeks later. I'm like, you were listening to that. Uh, and then this week we posted our weekly fireside chat with with our patrons and only our patrons on discord we're going to do a thursday night weekly chat with the crew to discuss episodes and anything else enriching our minds and hearts that week so, ipa yeah and you are going to what drink ipas and definitely make like testicle jokes or something hope yes yeah i i will i promise that's your part and then I'll <laughs> I'll get over emotional and sensitive about it and text you on the side. That's what I do. Yeah. All right. That's what we really need to post is the side conversations no, via text. You can't. <laughs> you can't. People are like, oh my God, Benny's so sad. I'm gonna go to this Patreon right now. He's more troubled than I thought. Yeah, don't let people in on that, Brad. Okay. Yeah. That's that's our little secret that I'm recording right now. <laughs> Without further ado, um, why don't we get into the episode with Landy? It's going on First off, just tell us how to pronounce your name because I was hesitant to say. Let's anything. start with that because it's La- Landy. It's Landy. Yeah, you got it. You've got it. You want to know the research I did? I'd love to. I not only listened to other interviews to be certain. And then I wrote an emphatic spelling of your name on my notes to actually not ask the question that Brad just asked. So fucking amateur hour, Brad. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, come Brad, on. do you know what? Before <laughs> I had to leave because of my audio problems. Now I'm just going to leave because this is just unprofessional. It's just getting tense in here. <laughs> this is it. Going off track. Hey, I'm not, a, so. I'm not embarrassed to ask any questions. So That's true. You, Ask away. Look, I've had, I've had more recently. Almost everyone calls me Landay. Like I'm really Ooh. like it just makes me sound so fancy. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Landay. It's that like a in a, in the U.S. If if um anyone ever wants to make something appear classier than it is, they add the English e at the end. You know, so it'll be instead of town center, towny center. With the E at the end, or they'll what? add, or they'll add like the U, you know, into like color or armor. Oh, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or favorite. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, the old American thing. We just think you're all more intelligent than us. We are because. so much more intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of intelligence, and Brad missed this. He's a nerd who would enjoy it. So you're taking. A, a musical what class at university right now? Well, technically, technically, it's a music tech course, but it's, oh, okay. um, it's called Creative Music Technology with a view Ooh. to learn how to compose. Oh. Yeah, but Let's I've, just, I've talk just about started that and shut it. Benny out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, but Brad, this is the thing. You've just seen, or you've not seen with your eyes, but you've witnessed how bad I am at music tech. I can't oh. engineer anything. No, 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 no. You are right in league with every other 
artist we've ever had who's sitting at home on, you know, thousands of dollars worth of gear. Like, it, it's all the same. This that is, is true. You know, what just happened is not unique. Because we're asking yeah. you to dumb it down for the, for the internet here. Like you could probably lo- boot up your system and record a song, right? That's true. I could I could record a symphony orchestra, but the Ooh. podcast I have issues with. I can't really, but you know, you don't know that, so I can say that. <laughs> so, how long ago did you start that course? I started my course in uh, October because I'm sure a lot of people were having the same thing. Where I was just having a existential moment, thinking that I was never going to play a show again in my life. Right. And I can't, I can't work. The only other thing I know how to do is to work in a venue and like Mm -hmm. run shows. So I really started to freak out. So I enrolled myself onto a music tech course and I I must have like bluffed a little bit with how my level of music techiness, because they (laughs) let me on the course and they really shouldn't have. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. Exactly. So I assume it's remote, right? It's so remote. Yeah. Right. I, I, I've been in, I've been onto campus once and that was to get a COVID test. Oh, wow. <laughs> How, how'd that go? It was great. Yeah. I shoved a, um, I shoved one of those massive cotton buds right up to my nose, yeah. right into my brain and dug around. Yeah. That was an unpleasant experience. But then they texted me my results less than half an hour after the, huh. the actual test. Incredible. That, that's Not impressive. so bad. So did you do it yourself manually or did somebody shove it up there? (laughs) Yeah, I did it myself manually, (laughs) like with my own, with my own arm. (laughs) Because that's the new thing is they're letting people do it themselves. Yeah. The first, I had two and this, and they got progressively worse and they were, the second one, I thought she was literally trying to punch it through the back of my skull. Well, yeah. Didn't we determine that that was a, uh, a sexual thing for the nurse? (laughs) <laughs> right. Remember the nussy? <laughs> right. So did you thing. know about this, Landy? <laughs> there are people, this is, it's, we've talked about it a few episodes ago, but you know, in the year 2020, I've been finding, looking for all the silver linings I can to, you know, um, convince me that humanity is is worthy of uh, existing still on this planet. And one of the things that convinced me that we are is the fact that people are starting to sexually fetishize COVID tests. Mm. Where they're like, you, apparently, like, the feeling you get when it's, like, back there, like, is funky at first. Uh, but then you get used to it. <laughs> and you kind of miss it a little. And then there's all these, like, YouTube, uh, you know, what is it, AMSR videos, uh, you know, of, like, you know, soft-talking nurses and doctors administering this COVID test so people can, like, relax. Wow. And it, just this concept of human adaptation gives me a little a little faith in our species, you know? So that so the idea that some people are getting horny by mm-hmm. getting a massive cotton wool bud stuck into their brain mm-hmm. restores your faith in humanity. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I'll tell you why. It's not. It's not about the physical act of, like, a you know, a large cotton swab going up somebody's nose and and stuff like that. I am fascinated by humans' ability to quickly adapt. <laughs> you know, like that's fascinating to me. And the fact that within the first six months of like a worldwide pandemic that's like altering the course of history, there's a group of people who sorted that out. And yeah, that kind of makes me happy. I got to be honest. I think it's funny. 
and I think it's quirky and funny and quirky things get me by, you know? Do you, do you think that yeah. it is a display of humans' ability to adapt quickly or do you think it's, it's a scientific display of something mm. that we didn't know before as a human race and that is that there's another G-spot in the brain <laughs> and all it is is that you have to dig around for long enough. Just got to get in there. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, you're there's right. There's no adaptation there. Oh, you're right. The it's 60s biological. Gave us- Right, right. It's it's not adaptation, it's exploration. It's exploitation for some reason. <laughs> As a feminist, I would like to stand up for this and say, I don't agree with any of this. <laughs> I don't know why I don't agree, but it sounds so wrong. <laughs> Noses are universal, man. Anyone could get into this. This is That's like a so universal true. sexual practice that any universal can have G-spot. Yeah, yeah, the but- universal G-spot. But it's, it, this stinks of the patriarchy to me. Absolutely yeah. stinks of it. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know who the... Well, that's Benny. That's Benny all the way right there. The <laughs> all the way across the Atlantic. If you told me that... Uh, yeah, if you told me that some some creepy cis incel dude is the one who started uh, nussy fetishization, I would believe it. <laughs> um, that's a fact. So, all right. So uh, that has nothing to do with audio tech. But you're also... Um, you work at a a Korean restaurant too? That's true. Yeah. It's called Tuk Tuk. What's the vibe there? <laughs> um the vibe is it's kind of street food. We got a big rice cooker and yeah, just making some bibimbaps um and some tofu. Sometimes I have to chop like massive hunks of beef. Where I'm <laughs> I'm a vegan and I, I haven't eaten meat since I was like a tiny child. Yeah. And um it really shocked me to my very core when I started this job a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm, get, I'm getting used to it. I'm starting to find it really satisfying, chopping up all the raw oh. meat, which is quite unnerving. Oh, the actual like, <laughs> like moving a knife through raw meat you're finding satisfying? Yeah, it, it's a bit like the COVID test, but not yeah, horny, not, sure not in that way. Let me shut that down quickly. <laughs> but in the sense that like, I'm exercising my skills of ab- adaptation in yes. that at first... I nearly threw up all over this massive hunk of yeah, like yeah. raw beef. And then um, afterwards, after a few weeks of doing it, I was like, yeah, I, this is my favorite part of the job. Give me more. <laughs> Only two kilos, really? Should I not do four? <laughs> two kilos of beef. <laughs> yeah. No problem. It's not enough. So, what's, um, uh, so is it, was this restaurant was able to stay open through the uh, pandemic? Yes, because of... Uh, a naughty company that delivers your delivers your food. That oh, sounds I a little see. bit like a like an Australian marsupial. Mm, gr- you know Uber? the one. <laughs> oh no, you don't have it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, suddenly, what if they don't have it in America and they have no idea what I'm hinting at? Yeah, I'm not sure. So, so we're we're we stay open um, because yeah, these these mateys on their little bikes ride drive the food around. Cycle it yeah. around. I'm sure that when it gets to people's houses, it's just so cold. Yes. Just so cold and sort of shaken around. Like there's been like a mini earthquake in the back. Mm-hmm. There's just no point. Literally, just go and get it. Because some poor little 19-year-old lad has had to cycle up a hill. I live in Bristol. It's yes. so hilly. 
They're sweating <laughs> and they're treated so badly by the company and you get it. It's completely yeah. stone cold. Yeah. Not even good. <laughs> no, it's not good. Like, especially fries, you know, that's insane. Anyway. I, oh yeah. Uh, I spent a lot true. of years as a uh, pizza delivery man. Um, and yeah, I can assure you, you know, when you're like the fourth delivery on a run, you are not getting fresh food. Um, it's of no choice by the delivery person. It's just by default. But yeah, it's a broken I, system. I mean, but I, I, so I went through this just the other day. So do, do you have a Whole Foods over there yet? Not yet. We, right? we have one in London. Okay, just one. Just um, the one. So, you know, Whole Foods has not only been here so long, it's already, you know, been exploited because it was bought by Amazon. And, you know, within the last few years has kind of gotten super Amazon-y. And, you know, now the big thing, I guess, is you can get your groceries delivered via Amazon. Um, so when you go to Whole Foods now during the day, half the place uh, are these Amazon people, you know, like uh, staring at their phones because, you know, they're scanning the stuff and they need to make sure they're getting the right stuff and packing these special cold and hot bags to, you know, bring it to people. And me and my wife both were like starting to get a little, uh, you know, like white problem uh, sassy about it. You know, where we're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. this is getting kind of annoying. You know, uh, there's all these people around and it's getting kind of annoying to go to Whole Foods. And then I'm there the last time and I felt this feeling creep up again. And then I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, you know what? That job fucking sucks. And there is no good way that I should even be remotely disturbed with these people because that's not fun. What they're doing right now is not fun. They're not being well paid. So the last thing they need is sass from the other patrons, you know? Oh, yeah. They get so much sass, though, I bet. I bet they do. That is so horrible in every level, isn't it? You're being paid shit all. You're getting getting worked like an absolute dog with no breaks or anything. And then you're getting persecuted by the customers. Yeah. Yeah, who, who mostly would get paid more than you. Yeah, yeah that that's that's a dreadful time. So, it's a good thing that you're in school and writing records, and you don't have to be a delivery person coming. Up. I know. Oh, I'm so grateful, especially because because of um, the lockdowns. I know they're yeah. different everywhere, but like in the UK, the lockdowns have meant that obviously restaurants have closed, mm-hmm. and you know bars are all closed and stuff. And so if you're I guess that a lot of those kind of hospitality jobs have gone. So people have become delivery drivers. That's just like something that so many people are doing. Yeah. And I so narrowly dodged it. The, I, I actually got offered a job as a, there's a super online supermarket called Ocado. I don't know if you mm-hmm. have it there. Anyway, um, they offered me a job as like one of their like massive van drivers, which I was really excited about because I drive a van on when we go on tour. Sure, yeah. And I was like, I can do this. This will be absolutely fine. And then I realized I've got epic claustrophobia and I, oh. I haven't been in a lift in like 11 years. Oh, no and shit. And there's, there's loads of like blocks of flats in, in Bristol. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be able to, you know, I was trying to negotiate with the woman who offered me the job if I could like leave a bo- you know, leave the boxes in the lift or something. And uh-huh. she, she just said to me like, what, you're going to leave like 12 crates of water for yeah. some tiny grandma to come <laughs> down and pick up herself. Yeah, and yeah. Um, 
I, I realized the error of my ways. So I, I didn't accept the job, but. That's uh so you really struck a chord with me because I'm also a um, lift or elevator. Uh, I have a pretty massive fear of, of elevators. How did that? Really? Yeah, I it's, do. It's scary. It's really yeah. scary, isn't really, it? Really? It's like one of, no, it's like you could do some really awful things right in front of my face and it would scare me significantly less than stepping into an elevator for like 30 <laughs> seconds. I won't ask of examples of what, what would be scarier. <laughs> So when did that start for you? Uh, and like one of the biggest problems I have is on tour, like you said, you know, you run into like, especially in Europe, you know, you show up to some bizarre hotel where there's like one elevator that's, you know, three by three feet that goes up. And like, how, how have you uh, danced around this over your, yeah. your touring years? Well, it's basically what I've done. So I'm totally scared of, of like confined spaces. Mm -hmm. So it affects me on tour loads because of like, um, public toilets is a massive one. Not being able to like lock the door, getting walked in on by people who don't really speak English and trying to explain like, I'm sorry, I'm claustrophobic, you know, (laughs) Uh, but also kind of being so far away from home that you kind of don't really care that much. Yes. Like I'm never going to see them again. So they saw some like horrific things. It's fine, you know. It's yeah, way yeah, more yeah. their problem than it is mine. But anyway, <laughs> right? And then, You're like and then when it comes to, yeah. I'm giving them a, a, a curse, yeah. And then <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to lifts or yeah. elevators, I basically I just I don't go in them. And then there's been some real annoying situations. Like I think I think it was the first ever European tour that my band Nancy Girls went on, and we I think we were in Austria, and we got back to the person's flat where we were staying and it was on the 12th floor um or like the 13th floor and I basically had to walk up the whole thing and absolutely no one in my touring party like volunteered to go up with me because it was an insane amount of stairs obviously that's a lot that's That's, That's, yeah that that it would be an act of pure solidarity that they just weren't (laughs) ready to offer (laughs) and then so by the time I got to the top and got into the apartment where we were staying literally everyone was on like their third beer of this sort of after party (laughs) and I was so so depressed (laughs) because I completely spent all my energy just and walking. the next day, my legs were just like aching. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. brutal. Uh, I empathize with what you're talking about. So I'm actually like so happy. I, I'm i not happy that you have this curse as I do, but I am so happy to meet someone else who has it because I feel like a freak. Yeah, it's not fun. It's hard to explain, isn't it? It is because, you know, most people... Well, here's the thing about it. And maybe you you know, understand the systemic part of it for you more is like, I can sit there and tell myself 100 different scenarios that don't scare me that much. Even if I'm like, you know, what if you get stuck? Who cares? Like you're just a bag of meat sitting in an elevator for 30 (laughs) minutes and then your bag of meat gets moved. You just got to breathe. It's fine. But like the second that door closes, like just the pit of my stomach fucking drops Uh. and I met with this like just crippling anxiety, you know, and I was living by New York city for years. So you just have no choice. Sometimes there's literally some buildings you just can't even get up, you know, unless you take the elevator. And so, you know, I was told by a therapist that, uh, you should 
like like the longer and longer you don't do it makes the times you do do it get worse you know and yeah. it becomes a larger problem because like you didn't chip away at it um mm. do you do you have any idea like where it where it stems from for you well i I have claustrophobia, which I've had for years and years and years. Yeah. And I can't afford the type of therapy that would tell me why, you know, would right. get to the bottom of it. I can only, I can only, well, I can't afford any therapy. So the, the therapy on the NHS is the type that you wait for for two years and then they tell you to, yeah, do your breathing exercises. It's right, like coping right, right. with with the issues that you have mm-hmm. with like anxiety or, or a phobia or something rather than, finding out why you have them and then getting rid of them. But I did have one of those therapists who was so nice. She was called Maggie. Hope you don't mind Maggie. Um, <laughs> she's not here. I just wondered, maybe she's listening. She, I don't think she is. Bless her. Anyway, she, she basically tried to, so like you said that someone had told you, you have to just do it. Right. And she was like, maybe it's, maybe you're thinking of it in the wrong way. It's a perspective issue. Like if mm. you, if you went in the lift, you're thinking you're going to get in the lift, get stuck and die of starvation and have to eat a rat. That's what you're thinking of. But what you should be thinking of is you should be going in there and you should be thinking, this could be the single best experience of my life. Uh I never know who I could meet in this lift. And then do you know what else she said to me? You could even meet a hunky man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could even meet a hunky man. Oh, I good. said, Maggie, I'm a lesbian, <laughs> but I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Great sentiment, Maggie. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mags. Um, but and strangely enough, I didn't, it wasn't enough. I haven't gone in a lift despite her efforts. Yeah. But I do, I appreciate that idea. And it could be transferred to other things as well. Like you have negative connotations with certain things sure. and it stops you from doing them. And actually, probably the difference between you not doing it and doing it is the way, it's just in the way that you're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I mean, you can't just, you can't just convert yourself from being a pessimist and a, like, I, I, what's the word? I catastrophize everything all the time. And so for me, I actually once thought about the fact that if I get stuck in a lift and I'm with other people, if it, if we're in there for long enough, someone is going to have to eat someone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you think about it, Logical. that's just true. Simply and I tell you true. what, Benny, Simply you true. should not be having this conversation with me because I will spend ages getting this fear even deeper into you because I know exactly how my brain has got me here, you know? Yeah, but you're right. This, <laughs> I'm so right. I am so right, right, of course. I mean, this exercise over time would require yeah. one human eats another. Someone needs to eat someone. It's just logic. Or at first, we're going to start with the shoes. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm going to have to eat this shoe. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, we need so meat. rubbery. We need six yeah. hours later the, the yeah. taste of meat. We'll six, just, yeah. six hours. Yeah, that's all. it's only going to be six hours. <laughs> oh god. Two hours, you're out of water. Four hours, you're eating shoes. Six, the taste of human yeah. meat just starts to spark and on then, your tongue. And so you started eating like the smallest person there. And then <laughs> half an hour later, you're in France in some sort of little car park lift. Right. And the, the, the handyman arrives and lets you out. Yeah. <laughs> you have to explain why, you've, why someone's lost a finger. <laughs> you were only in there for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it felt like seven days. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is truly... Well, can you you like pinpoint from childhood or something, the claustrophobia thing, or it's just always been there? I I have a very vivid memory of being in... I went to Australia when I was 16 to visit my brother who'd moved there. And we went, we were in Sydney on a holiday and we went up this 360 degree view tower type hell (laughs) building. (laughs) Basically the only way to get up there is so tall is to go in this, like one of these super fast, like space lifts where it's like, woo. And, um, and I got in the lift and halfway through, um, halfway up there, I suddenly realized, oh my God, I'm claustrophobic. Oh. And then, and then I got to the top and I was, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm scared of heights as well. Oh This no. is not a good day at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I realized the only way down, unless I want to spend like the next three hours with the caretaker yeah. escorting me down some steps that right. probably don't exist, is to just go in the lift. So I did and I cried in my sister's ah. arms. Wow. 16 years old, just so scared. And that's huh. the last time I got in a lift. Wow. That's intense. Which is why I knew it was 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's very intense. That's wild. Well, I think too, I mean, I, I think for someone who's claustrophobic, uh, it's not really a fear of heights. It's just still claustrophobia because you can't, you know, it's like once you're up there, even though it's like wide open around you, there's still no way out. So, oh, God, right? do you know I feel so anxious right now? We should totally <sighs> talk about like really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about nice like open spaces. What's something else painful you want to get into? <laughs> yeah, Anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's so much to talk about there. All right, this is a perfect time. Then we're gonna do it early in the segment. Okay, we're gonna do our early <laughs> mystery friend. You up for it? I'm so up for this. So this is a game we play on the show and and we need to get out of a, a headspace about um sexually fetishizing covid tests and being claustrophobic. So yeah, let's move on. We're let's moving. draw a line. We are moving. <laughs> so mystery friend is a segment where I find a friend of yours. I get a story that we find zany or interesting. I'd like you to tell me more about this story and then guess which mystery friend of yours told it to me. Okay. You ready? This sounds perfect. Yeah, okay. of course. So apparently the story goes that you slept in a squat somewhere on tour. I believe it was a Muncie Girls tour. They yeah, think it was right. France. And you were in a squat that had uh, bed bugs, ridden with bed bugs, <laughs> and you yeah. were given baseball bats in case fascists came in the night. <laughs> this this happened? Oh, I thought we were going to start talking about nice things. Well, this is fun. Well, now that, I mean, you're alive, so so it's a funny yeah. story now, right? So beating beating fascists with a baseball bat. That's a pretty good story. Nice yeah. I, yeah. I was up for it. I gotta say, <laughs> I was happy about that. No, okay. So wait, what am I supposed to do? Elaborate on this story? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear what I think at first, about. first I need to tie up some loose ends and some crossed wires. Okay. Because the, this this uh, game of whispers has gone a bit far. No, no. <laughs> so actually what happened was, it was on the same, this is an amalgamation of two nights, possibly even that happened in a row. Okay. So we basically toured in France for two weeks. 
Oh, wow. Only France. That's hard it was to do. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I really liked it because I was still drinking then and I was drunk all the time on cheap wine. <laughs> right. Sure. So I loved it. I didn't mind where we slept. I thought it was fun. But one of the nights we stayed in a, um, in a, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to think how to describe it. It was in a venue, but the, there was a couple who owned it and lived above it. Okay. But it was like, a, it, it was basically in a village. And so the only people that came to the show were just the people who lived in the village <laughs> because okay. it was just their social, their social right, time. Right. And after the show, they invited everyone from the village up to party. Okay. But that was where we were staying as well. And they had these kittens that were infested with fleas. Oh. And the, all the bedding was infested with fleas. So that's what I think the bed bug thing oh, comes okay. from. Okay. So it was actually fleas. And then... I think it was just, it's just fleas. Don't worry, it's just fleas. (laughs) Harmless, harmless fleas. But I was really drunk. So I was embracing all the locals as you do and trying, practicing my, um, my middle school French on them all. Of course. Um, And I think the other two guys from my band were slightly um, less party-ish at that moment in time. less enthused. (laughs) They were just tired, bless them. They just wanted to go to sleep. And there were like these like 60-year-old sort of drunkards waking them up. Trying to party, yeah. Trying to party on them. And then the the next night, let's call it the next night, we stayed in a a venue, but it was like a um, cultural centre. It's called like a cultural liberté centre or whatever. And... um, and we slept in the back room and they said, oh, just to warn you, like this is a extremely, because this is a left-wing space, mm-hmm. there are quite a lot of neo-Nazis in the town and they have, it has been known that they'll just bash the doors in and they will just bash everything down and they'll they'll beat you until something stops them. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> and they were like, but don't worry because we've given each of you a baseball bat to put under your pillow. Oh my God. <laughs> and we were like, wait, so we might be come at in the night. Yeah. And, um, and so no, literally just none of us slept a wink, oh obviously. I just remember like gripping my weapon, <laughs> just laying in, like, just wake, just awake. Wow. Are you sure that somebody wasn't just trying to like a joke on you. I mean, I mean French neo-Nazis? Yeah. Is that really a big thing? French I would has, think it definitely France has is. fascism yeah, for sure. Sure it does. They yeah. do have fascism, but Jesus. You get out of the cities anywhere in the world, man. <laughs> there's basically yeah. there's rednecks everywhere, okay? Um, oh, God. Even, in, even in France. Um, Especially in France. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's no reason why not in France. It's a scary country if you've not spent much time there before. It is. It, it's, it's a tumultuous place. Wow, tumultuous. Oh, That's imp- a great word. Oh, I impressed an English person. Oh, my God. My, <laughs> my mom is rolling over in her grave so happy that I just impressed an English person with a word. Oh. Um, that's awesome. So, so this night went without incident, I suppose. Well, if you're saying that that's not an incident, then yes, it did go without incident. No, we we didn't we didn't get attacked in the dead of night in our beds, but we did think about all the ways that that would go down. Yeah, like did you have a um a plan? Like somebody, a game plan. Somebody <laughs> is by the door. Somebody hides in here and does a sneak attack. Like I think our plan was to sort of sardine. 
you know, safety in numbers mm, mm-hmm. and just be like, look, we're, we're already a very tight group. That's just <laughs> the way we function. And I think we probably, we were on tour with a Parisian band. I think we would have put them closer to the door. <laughs> you know? This is your problem. <laughs> they were all sort of grown men. Right. And, and this is a good few years ago. We were still in our early 20s, still saw ourselves very much as children. Right, sure. And they were these sort of grown men taking us on tour in their rattly van. Okay. And we thought, do you know what? We don't even speak French let alone have we ever fought a French neo-Nazi with sure. a baseball bat. And as much as I was incredibly up for giving that a go, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the one to, to sort of gauge their strength and cunning at the front of the battle, battle line. So I sort of, I reckon I would have put myself towards the back, but not too far back. So there are no windows and I'm oh, claustrophobic. Right. So that's another issue Ooh. with that scenario. Yeah, that's true. You're the last one to get out then. All right. Well, we, oh, we, we can't get back here. How did we get back to claustrophobia? We were supposed to move. We were supposed to it move. It always comes back it to claustrophobia. Comes, it always comes back to neo-Nazis in France, you know? It um, always does. So, all right. So, any idea who, who would have told me this, uh, this tale? Well, it had to be someone who was there. Okay. So, here, I'm going to throw a caveat at you, okay? I okay. think the person who got me this story may be telling it by fable. So I have a follow-up statement that I think will give you a clue (laughs) as to who it is, okay? Okay. okay. So I don't think this person was there. But the same person in the same uh, text wrote, in quotes, just ask her about how much money she spent on vegan cake when on tour because that shit needs to be addressed. <laughs> okay, okay. Now now I feel like I know I've got more of an inkling now. Okay. Is am I guessing? Yeah, go for it. Is this person Martin? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you, it's only because that is exactly how she talks. And you <laughs> you just nailed it. <laughs> it was it was verbatim from the email. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely shit. perfect. So, are you a vegan cake junkie? Um, yeah, yeah. Junkie is, is, is almost not a strong enough word. <laughs> and now, do you know what? I've cut, I know I'm being hard on myself. I've cut down a lot in the past week, but that is just because I've been sort of trying really hard to eat more sort of refined, no, uh, no unrefined sugar, you know? I think I saw an incriminating tweet of yours this morning. Oh, God. About sweets okay. and pastries oh. that I believe you posted. <laughs> I'm, just ta- I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Okay. I, have, I may have tweeted something with some sort of pastry goods. <laughs> I'll let, oh, yeah. that's such bad luck, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, just, I hate to call you out, but this is, I mean, you tweeted that about three hours ago and yeah. it literally looked like the Great British Baking Show those, in that photo. Those pastries haven't even been digested yet and I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> trying to lie about them oh that's awesome well i'm with you like food is really i am oh, food gosh. is like up there with me with with drugs alcohol coffee you know like the level of addiction emotional well, connection to it like all of that is like just yeah. as real as anything yeah i heard i heard from some probably incredibly reliable source <laughs> that 
sugar is more addictive than crack cocaine. Wow. Mm. <laughs> now I'm saying it doesn't seem so likely. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, it it could be more addictive, right? Just one of them kills you way faster if you get addicted yeah. to it, right? <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, this is probably based on a study beyond beyond my knowledge about and, neurons and, or, you know. Okay, yeah. And, and as long as you're not tweeting the evidence, it's easier to cover up <laughs> sure if you've is. had sugar, you know? Like if, if, I've had, if I've had a bit of crack before this interview, well, actually, you haven't spoken to me before, but if I've had a little bit of crack and then chatted to someone, uh-huh. they're more likely to be like, have you had some crack this morning? Whereas if, I, <laughs> if I've had some sugar and then I chat to them, they're not going to be like, have you had some custard creams this morning? Because you sound a little bit, you know, oh. So I think, I think sugar's probably more work-friendly. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you could be a functional addict of sugar a little easier than crack. I am that. a high-functioning sugar addict. There, I've said it. I feel so much better. Uh, I'm clean super your soul. addicted. <laughs> yeah. Clean your uh, soul. I eat so much cake. Like, Martin's right. I, I eat so much cake on tour. And not just me, I get, I, I'm one of those addicts because I've had to quit everything I've ever loved because I get way too addicted. Yeah. So I don't drink, I don't smoke, don't do anything. I don't even drink coffee anymore. Wow. Because I don't allow myself it because I don't know when to stop. And, um, and when I, I'm the worst kind of person that when I get really into something, <laughs> I have to drag everyone around me down with me. Oh. So when we're on tour... <laughs> I'll make us drive to like a really bougie vegan cake shop where it's like five five euros, you know, like eight dollars or whatever for a a slice, tiny slice of gourmet vegan cake. And obviously I'm like, no, everyone has to get one. Don't make me feel bad about eating this posh cake. And everyone's had like a really bad tour where they feel really grotty. They haven't even drank one beer but they just feel really disgusted with themselves and and really, really poor. But I like it, so. I mean, well, you even in your tweet this morning, I think you wrote, you know, the biggest thing to that, which is that I'm doing this for health and it's healthy for my soul. <laughs> yeah. Right, right? Yeah. I mean, well, it is health. I think I said something about I'm going on a health kick. Yeah, I think so. Enough, enough of these healthy green vegetables... They don't make me happy. Right. You know? Eat the cake. It sounds like you cut out cigarettes, coffee, booze, drugs. Like yeah. eat some fucking cake. Like you got to have something in your life. Jesus. You really have to have something. I mean, well, all right. Well, none of this so far has had to do with music. And I guess that's what connects us and something that you no, actually do need in your life. Claustrophobia connects us. We've well, gotten to that. In a, in a more metaphysical level. Yeah. I'd like to explore that. I we could talk about it for a while because I've had some. We're not getting back. Why do you keep dragging me back? Sorry, sorry, I'm dragging you down, Landy. Come on. Sorry. Um, so your new album, right? You right. haven't. You have an album. I told your PR folks on the email that we must speak about it, right? Um, we must mutter it. So you know, at first I, I was wondering you know, where the songs came from, but I saw that you had put the record together even prior to quarantine, right? Down in Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. What was the, so I was wondering like, um, 
just a where where these uh songs initially stemmed from like were they uh always meant to be to be this record um yeah i think so because i think it was kind of a timing thing really where muncie girls weren't doing much like we were having a year off right to kind of you know, do our own things for a bit. And then... And you were doing that pre-pandemic anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's actually turned into a, the the longest break right. ever seen yeah. in history. Um, <laughs> longer than we wanted. But yeah, those songs... I think those songs are quite different anyway um, to Muncie Girl stuff. But just through, t- through timing, it just meant that they were always going to be... If I'd have kept them for Muncie Girls, they would have ended up getting being quite old before right. we'd put sure. something out which is never a nice feeling you know you mm-hmm. want some fresh stuff and uh what was the process so you went all the way down to australia and and you played everything yourself huh yeah yeah well i was on tour there um okay just doing like a few shows and then my friend ben has a recording studio there and it's where i'd already recorded like my EP that I did the year before mm-hmm. um, and that's the way that we did that before so I just played like drums and bass and everything we kind of just like layered it up as we went kind of like like you do in a regular multi-track session sure. with a full band but I just you know ran around a lot more <laughs> and was a lot more tired have you always played, like, have you always been a multi-instrumentalist? Have you always played a lot of stuff or have you recently learned some some of these instruments that you're playing? Yeah, no, I, I've pretty much always played. I'm not always, not when I was a baby. But yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I started playing, I started playing bass when I was 10. Okay. And then I started playing drums when I was like 11. Oh, cool. And then I only kind of more seriously started learning guitar like a few years ago. Oh, okay. And then I've start. I play um, guitar in Muncie Girls now, but I used to play bass. Yeah, I noticed. So that I kind too. of, I have like a, a bit of an understanding of most of those kind of classic instruments. Sure. And so, yeah, it's just it. It was like an idea where I just really wanted to play everything because you. I don't know. I don't know if you write songs like on guitar or anything. I don't. But if you, okay, if you write like if you write a song. And then you have this really crystal clear image of how it's going to sound. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you get your friends to play on it. Right. But they obviously have their own creative ideas. Sure. Even though they've obviously made it better because they're giving their kind of they're giving their more expert input on their instruments, you're gonna like it less because you wanted what you'd thought of because it's your idea sure you know and so i i liked the idea of not of just having this one record where i could just be like disgustingly controlling and just make (laughs) it you know exactly how i want it yeah yeah and so i i indulged massively in this sort of narcissistic project i mean it it was fun but yeah i think that's okay i mean you don't i you know you can do both you know like you don't like Prince is a great example of somebody who was invented by that, you know, like nobody could be on a Prince record uh, or if they were, they had to play exactly what he wanted them to play. Right. Mm. But I think there's a lot of artists that can go back and forth and do both. And the results are slightly different, but you know, you get some really innovative stuff when you, when you kind of do every instrument. Yeah. I think, I think as long I as do. You don't have to. 
Yes, that's the thing. I, I think I enjoy collaborating with people. And in, in retrospect, after doing it where I'm just recording everything myself, I think I did just miss kind of playing with people mm. and sitting back and actually being able to hear it and having a bit of perspective during the session. Because while you're doing it yourself, you're kind of, luckily, like it was a collaboration in terms of me and my friend Ben we would bounce ideas off each other and he would give me feedback as I went. But it's kind of strange being in a studio and not having your bandmates be like, by the way, that bit sounds really, really weird. And like, you've got to get rid of it because it's going to ruin the record, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, and then afterwards just being terrified, like what if you listen back to it all and it just sounds so bad. So it's a a weird process. Did any of it have to do with the fact that like, you know, the content of the record is so personal and cathartic for you and and something that's so tied to to your life and your story like do you think that maybe in your head it was i want just like i'm gonna own this thing this is mine and i have to like one way or the other good or bad like this is mine to own you think that had anything to do with it yeah that that's definitely how it 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 sort of became that kind of after I'd recorded the songs really like or maybe subconsciously it was that all along but definitely after I'd recorded it I realized like no it does make sense because I want to do the artwork myself and I want to decide where this record goes and who hears it and I think like there are certain songs that like for example with Muncie Girls we have our audience and it's not a massive audience but it's it is what it is Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to just put my songs into that audience's hands right because this this record is like a queer record Mm -hmm. and I wanted to kind of be able to I guess like in a way finally like approach a scene that I've admired for a long time Mm -hmm. but because I wasn't out I didn't sort of well it wasn't my my scene back then do you know what I mean it wasn't a space for for me to just go pushing my music all over it so I did kind of want to yeah I wanted to do it myself because this is my experience and it makes more sense to kind of, yeah, like you said, like own it, but I don't know that maybe that sounds a bit cheesy, but it does, it does feel better to have done it myself. And then to know that the kind of themes of the record and the way it was recorded and put out and stuff is something that I had control over, I guess. Yeah. And, and going into it, I mean, um, I know you had you had come out to to family and friends or prior. I don't know actually, but I, you know I had no that that is true. Okay, yeah. um, I just sort of loosely read that. Um, so when you were going into this, what what was your level of confidence? Like, were you one hundred percent confident? Like, this is what I want to do and what I want to say and how I want to say it, or was there a lot of reticence and questioning and? and reapproaching like how you want to do it well not yeah I don't know I I definitely didn't think that much about it I just thought well I've already kind of I've already come out and I might as well do it in a bigger way you know and make this record um and make that the theme of the record sure because because it's like a big a big moment in my life, even yeah. though it doesn't feel like it doesn't really feel like it, but it is. And so it's quite a, a good thing to actually document, I guess. Uh-huh. And also I really wanted to make it really 
clear that that's what this record was about and be open about my experience of it. Just in case there were kind of any people who felt the same way I did before. Mm. And I, I didn't have enough kind of people to kind of turn to or, or hear hear from afar about their experiences without right. having to engage with it. Sure. And I didn't have enough of that. So I thought if I can add to other people's kind of awareness of of what it's like to come out, especially like since I'm already in a band. Do you know what I mean? Like right. it wasn't it wasn't like nobody had heard of me. It would basically in my head, I was only gonna be putting a record out to a few people, half of them would have heard of Mansi Girls, half of them wouldn't, but right, never right. mind. But I think, I don't know, I definitely just didn't think about it that much. Because actually, since I put the record out, like quite a few people have said that they really like it. And I had no idea that that would happen. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess it didn't really feel like a big deal before. And now I'm like, ooh, <laughs> right. interesting. Do you think like... uh say you if you got your hands on a piece of music or a record with someone's um someone's story being so clear do you think that could have uh lended you a hand when you were a little younger about getting to the point you got to maybe a little earlier in life or or something like that yeah definitely yeah like when i was younger and like getting into bands literally the only like exposure to like queer culture that was kind of not a negative uh, kind of portrayal was Buffy the Vampire Slayer okay. and the kiss in Cruel Intentions. Right, okay. And that that's it, you know? Right. Everything else was like horrible homophobia Huh. And um and there was just nothing else that <laughs> was on my radar. <laughs> yeah. A- apart from when I got a bit older, I guess there was like Slater Kinney were my favorite band. Okay. But I do think yeah, I think more in terms of like one person's experience, I didn't really have that much awareness of anyone really. Sure. And even that cruel intentions kiss is sort of a male porn sort of vibe anyway, isn't it? Well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you don't really know that when you're a kid. You're just like, right. what am I watching? Like, oh, Denise Richards, okay. <laughs> um, all right, so this leads to a... We do something on here called Mystery Question every once in a while. I didn't get the person to record it, but I have a question from my Aunt Leslie. Now, to give you a little bit of context, my Aunt Leslie has been... Uh, Openly out and gay since 1975. Um, That is so cool. And quickly for context, just I even called her yesterday to make sure I was getting the story right because of how fantastic it is. In 1975, she was living in New York City and was part of a bisexual women's group. And she was asked to be the spokesperson for this group on a daytime cable show hosted by Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs called Not For Women Only. So she was asked (laughs) to be on this cable access show and she essentially came out on the show and was asked by Barbara Walters, like, this is a strange way to come out. Like, why did you do this? And she's like, well, I'm going to have to tell my parents now. And then she came out to my grandparents between when the show was filmed and when it aired to make sure that my... Give them a heads up. Exactly. To make sure my grandmother didn't find out on TV. Um, so, <laughs> and now, you know, she's been married a number of times in different states and, you know, has been, like I said, a 
a lesbian for 50 years. And um, she had a question once I told her that I was, I was going to speak to you. And usually I get these recorded, but I didn't have enough time with Aunt Leslie. She was wondering, why did you choose this way? She was wondering, why did you choose to take your experience public rather than private? Well, yeah, I, that's a really good question. I think, I mean, I had, I didn't come out to my mum through putting a record out. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was going like, to hell, mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I've done the press release. Now <laughs> yeah. I need to run over to her house right, and, exactly. and tell her. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, like, you know, what she did, like, that's so brave. And that's a completely different time, different kind of cultural backdrop. Yeah. Which is like, to me, that just seems absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's not in any way the same now for me. But I do think there's a little bit of, I kind of, I worried about coming out my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I put it, I put it to the back of my mind, like I ignored it and did all the things that I could to kind of try and make it go away. So I didn't have to come out to even myself. Yeah, And then now that because I'm I'm 27 now and I which I know isn't late for coming out some people don't come out until lots later but I thought if I've waited this long like fuck no am I going to do some like really half-assed thing where mm. I'm like you know like just drop it into conversation right right I might as well like take it on I might as well make a thing of it huh. and also just not uh I don't know just not kind of I think if I tried to slide it into my music, like, oh, by the way, now I'm like a queer artist. Right. I don't think that people would pick up on it so much. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I kind of like, I understand certain amount about uh, like music press and magazines yeah, and the way sure. people perceive music. Like you really do have to feed it to people in a very, very kind of obvious way. Oh, yeah. You got to spoon it like they really applesauce. Don't, <laughs> they don't understand it. It's, <laughs> no, an, it's kind of no. ridiculous. Yeah, so it's half yeah. that. Like, yeah, sure. if I don't spell it out a hundred times right. in a hundred different magazines yeah, it's true. And, and people's blogs, then people won't know that it's a thing. But but also, it's like, it's like I said, you know, I just want, I want it to reach, even if it reaches one person, which actually I have had a message about someone who came out and sort of felt able to do that, like a young person yeah, awesome. because of, of me and, and a, another couple of friends uh, who are, who are in bands and stuff. And like to be, yeah, that's the reason there really, because it does feel amazing to be able to share an experience that's valuable to other people. Yeah. Because, especially because like I said, like I, I had a real lack of that when I was younger and not even just younger, like until a couple of years ago. Right. Like so much has changed in a couple of years. And I want to feel, I want to feel the benefit of that by being open about it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I guess that's my answer to Leslie. Yeah, that makes sense. She, sa she sounds amazing. Uh, she's not only that, she is also a rabbi. Wow. Uh, and also a two-time cancer survivor. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, she's punk as fuck, man. She's cool. And she's in the Avengers, too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she's awesome. Well, thanks, Aunt Leslie, for the question. And the uh, thank you, Aunt Leslie. The reference I had to, I called her yesterday to just make sure I got that story right because I knew it was so much fun. Um, 
well, fun for me now, I'm sure challenging at the time 50 years ago. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the thing that, uh, you know, I'm sure, y- you know, you mentally prepared and went through a lot of situations that could happen or did happen, you know, when you're uh, prior to coming out. And I'm sure some of it is is what you expected. Uh, what, what's something you maybe didn't expect that that's come from the experience? Well, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it that much, to oh, be okay. honest. Okay. Um, <laughs> I kind of just... I gave you too much know. credit. No. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it. I was just like, I don't know. Um, probably one of the things that I didn't expect, because I, I definitely didn't think about it when I was telling my mum, mm-hmm. which is which is amazing that I was able to feel like that because she's, she's pretty left wing and, and very, very relaxed about most stuff. Okay. But one thing I wasn't expecting was a few, a few months later, it was around Christmas time and um, we celebrate the winter solstice rather than Christmas. But anyway, we were opening our presents and, um, and my sister got a mug from a charity shop, which is where my mum likes to buy her presents from. And hers was like this really nice, like nautical themed mug with like ropes and uh, kind of like, you know, different knots mm-hmm. that you, that you, that you make if you're a sailor, okay. you know, really yeah. nice, nice mug. Like, oh, here you go. You know, you like sort of that sort of stuff. And then I opened my mug and it just had these two women <laughs> sat sat opposite from each other at a table drinking like cocktails uh-huh. with their legs crossed sort of like vibing at each other uh-huh. and I was like well what the fuck's this about yeah. and she was like I looked over she was giggling and she said something like I thought you'd like that oh. <laughs> and I was like and we hadn't really spoken about Cheeky. you know the fact that I'd come out yeah yeah this is the thing like she it made me feel weird, but I don't think she meant it that way. I right. really think she just genuinely thought I'd like it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah just like a, <laughs> that was her trying to show her support. Like, like a silly little well, you like women. Like exactly. You like women and you like decaf tea. <laughs> right. So I thought you could <laughs> sip from the women. Yeah, you'll probably wind up at a cafe one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was one of my unexpected moments. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, did it, did it, go um i don't know that's too personal i'm not going to get into that feel free to ask though by the way don't don't you worry about that i was just going to ask if it if it if it went well you know if if the the people the mug giving no i mean i guess coming out <laughs> to your family and friends oh, right. and like yeah, and yeah. like that process um you know like i said though that's such a personal thing you can talk about no, that if you want to no no like i i don't mind talking about it cuz it, it wasn't it wasn't that bad you know like I'm so lucky with with having like I said like my family are left wing the family that I am in contact with anyway I haven't right. come out to the rest of them because who even knows where they are but okay. it's you know like the people around me that I love I pr- I don't know if I would have been able to come out to them if I'd have known that they wouldn't have been cool with it right right but I did have I did have like a lucky experience in that I'm not part of you know a a kind of family that feels any sort of way other than cool with people's sexuality and and people's, you know, lifestyles or whatever. So yeah, it was actually totally fine. There were a couple of times when I kind of projected my nerves about it onto the way people acted. But actually, Mm. I don't think that, in retrospect, I think that people 
we're just dealing with some new information and not actually, no one was really that bad about right. it. And I think that, yeah, basically years and years of building up in my head when actually people were like, oh, okay, cool. Because, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, by the way, like I'm sort of dating a girl or, or I'm going to go on a date with a girl or whatever. And they'd be like, okay, so wait, what are you saying? Is there something special about this person or, or are you? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, wait, no, no, I'm trying to tell you that I haven't dated a girl before. And they'd be like, oh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's probably more likely the reality of telling someone right. that you're gay if they're a cool person. Right. <laughs> or not a cool person, but you know, if they've, if they're not a homophobe. Yeah. Yeah. Just have, no- they're not going to be like, oh my God, <laughs> I need to sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were there any people who were just like, yeah, we know. That's what I, th- I thought people would know because like I said, like my favorite band's always been Slater Kinney <laughs> and I, I skateboard. I've always skateboarded. I've always been vegetarian. Yeah. Well, I don't know what else I can really give off that's that's going <laughs> to show that. But nobody really seemed to, or maybe they, I think a few people knew, but they didn't want to be like, ah, I knew that because it's kind of not really their right. place to have known before me. Were were you always, were you dating like all through these years? Yeah, well, I, I've always dated guys. Right. Um, until I sort of started coming out to myself and then to other people. Um, but yeah, I've all, I've always just dated guys. So I do think it was, it was definitely news to tell people that not only was I dating girls, but I'm actually gay. So it's like, oh, okay. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw in the press release, you, you know, you made it a point to say this isn't a dig at all Catholics, you know, the going to hell quib. Um, yeah. do you like, do you personally have faith and, and like, what, what's your background with with faith and where is it at now? I don't, yeah, I don't personally have faith. I'm, I'm, I reckon I'm agnostic though, because I, I definitely don't have any issue with religion as such. And I think that people, you know, people have their own faith and like, I 100% respect that. And I think that the song going to hell is more about like the idea of Catholicism and the institution of it and the way it makes people feel as as an institution and as a kind of historical and oppressive kind of religion that has sure. over time racked up its share of atrocities oh, yeah. as with most religions but yeah in terms of individual people i think it's really really fruitless to kind of to come across like i i just didn't want people to think that i was trying to say Homo- like all Catholics are homophobes because mm-hmm. I, I I haven't met all Catholics at <laughs> right. all <laughs> or quizzed them on their views. <laughs> but so, that was that song's more about like the idea of someone. I, I was kind of imagining someone in a religious with a religious experience who suddenly then feels like oh hang on though my religion and other religious people are actually going to have a massive problem with it and mm. the issues that kind of get risen with that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, we've been talking a lot on here recently, you know, a good half dozen artists recently have sort of been on here touting the the benefits of not having a record label and self-releasing records and the benefits they've found from it. But 
you kind of have had sort of a, a reverse experience with uh, Get Better Records, right? Um, so how, how's that experience been and how have they like, you know, boosted and helped what, what you're trying to do so far? Yeah, well, my basically since since uh, we decided to start working together, it's just been amazing. And they're so, so supportive. And I mean, obviously anyone who knows that label understands that they're like, all about like uplifting kind of marginalized voices. Totally. But in terms of like the way that, and not to say that my voice is particularly marginalized, but <laughs> like the, the culture that they create is so kind of, it's so inclusive. And I think, I don't know, I, I think it, it's definitely a different way of doing things to what I've experienced before. And I've really appreciated kind of the whole process that we've gone on together. But yeah, like you said, like a lot of people do benefit loads from doing it themselves and stuff. And I can understand why, because that's like awesome. But in this scenario, I think if you've got like a DIY label or an independent label that are backing you loads and the relationship's working really well, then that's to me, probably the ideal scenario. Right. Because it's kind of, it's not that fun doing stuff all by yourself either. Right. You want yeah. someone or a group of people to be on your team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to self, uh, self-motivate or not, not self-motivate, but um, I guess you get a lot of validation and reassurance, right? In collaboration. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad Alex is taking care of you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think they're like one of the best labels that is operating at the moment for sure. Awesome. That's on record. That's the label that, that's the label that your solo record's on. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I have to say that um, I really found the whiskey video to be sort of a perfect midwinter COVID oh, yeah. escape. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was it was so pleasant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like what everybody wants to be doing right now. Yeah. I live in the <laughs> in the Lower East Side, so I'm kind of, you know, I've been kind of apartment bound. Oh. Yeah, speaking of scary elevators, Brad's apartment. Not <laughs> oh, fun. No. Not fun getting oh, up there. Terrifying. What floor are you yeah, on that... again? Fifteen. Yeah. Oof. And it's old school 15. New York City building, little elevator, not cool. It's, that sounds it's horrible. It's pretty that little. That sounds so horrible. <laughs> anyway, like Brad, Brad once was like, you know, we can record episodes over here. And about yeah. 50% <laughs> of the reason I was making up excuses to not do it was so I didn't have to do his elevator like once a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm actually washing my hair that day. Yeah. Not good for me, Brad. <laughs> yeah. The elevation's bad for my voice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was a great video. I, I also love, too, on the record, and I don't know how intentional it was, but it seems like a number of the songs are sort of like a, like a giant crescendo that, you know, they're real stripped back early on and kind of in the, you know, nature of like an Explosions of the Sky song or something. They sort of seem to burst open towards the end. Um, I, I really dig that. It's, it gives like a lot of uh, build up and release to the album. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that some of the songs ended up that way. Cause I think that just sort of was a coincidence. It was, I think it's, it's yeah. what happens when I just want to write, I think to myself, right, I'm going to record an acoustic song or like a song that's just guitar and vocals. And then I'm like, towards the end, 
I'm like, oh, I just put a little bit of drums there. Right. <laughs> and then, and then like right. maybe some keys and then maybe some overdrive on this right. other guitar. <laughs> and then should we just layer it more? Yeah, and then yeah. it just turns into this, like you're just getting so carried away. All of a sudden you have like a queen song on your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, All of a sudden it's prog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let me geek out for a minute then, because that's the one area when you're doing your own record. I mean, it's great that you can play all these instruments, but... Um, was there anyone sort of telling you when to stop? <laughs> yeah. As far it's a as good like question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, you um, know? Well, clearly there was someone who told me to stop because if it was just me, it would have been way more intense with all these layers. <laughs> no, right. um, yeah, my friend, my friend Ben David, who recorded it, he produced it. So he was saying okay. like, you know, this would be good here and that would be good there. And I think right. it's so important to have someone else to kind of bounce ideas off and just to be able to hear it when you're playing something it's yeah. like oh man this sounds so good i'm going to put even more chorus even though it's already drowning right. in chorus right. but someone else is like that sounds disgusting you're being so right. self-indulgent like you do need someone else to you know oh yeah and there's the there's this huge danger that i've experienced myself even though like I know better, you know, I'm, I've been an artist and a producer, but still when I do my own stuff, if there's a particular track or an instrument that is just not working and I know it's not working, I'll still like, I'll mix it in like really low. Cause I just can't let it <laughs> right, go. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, a, I always advocate to other artists to get an outside mixer, you know, to, you know, to do their, to do their mixes just cause they're not going to know that you spent, five hours getting that part yeah, exactly they'll right just they're, they're hear just gonna know it. it doesn't work yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and but i'm so guilty of it i still you, do it i'll still yeah. and it's i'll put it in there i just you can't hear it but i know it's you damn tone, that's fair enough. tone junkies damn tone junkies you know? <laughs> 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 yeah that's what i'm gonna replace all the things i'm addicted to with it's just tone <laughs> ah that's good you gotta you know, know it's not gonna kill me brad you can't do it i <laughs> i've actually gotten into fights with the opposite where I'm like, can you please take the drums out of this song? And I'm a drummer, uh, you know, wow. where I've just been like, listen, like what's happening right now reminds me of like seventies theater rock. Keep it broody. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Keep it chill. Like I don't want to put dun, 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 or like something like that in here at the end. It's it. I don't know. It's so hard you to must just be, not be self. You're one of the only, yeah, you're one of the only musicians to, to not want oh, yeah. more of themselves in the recording. I've not experienced yeah. that much before. And maybe the only drummer. Probably, <laughs> probably the only drummer. To, I didn't want to say yeah. it, but definitely the only drummer. <laughs> I, listen, I truly believe in service to the song. I really do. I know it's like, I, I think it's trite sometimes, but it, it's just the idea. That is so noble. That uh, Thank you. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, less noble now you've said it's noble. Oh, right. <laughs> nobility is always not coming from the person who is noble it's hard to be noble as an american you know we're just, yeah. we're, just we're just gristling at the mouth it's really difficult especially these days yeah why don't we finish up with uh i've been asking most people for 2021 if there's any uh sort of book or film or or podcast you could recommend Ooh. that's helping you helping you get through these times and keep a positive outlook I mean, apart from, yeah, 2021, apart from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I'm watching from the beginning and 
simultaneously I'm watching Seinfeld oh, from the beginning. Okay. So when Buffy gets too scary, <laughs> I just go back to Kramer. Um, <laughs> apart from those things, maybe maybe you were looking for something more, uh, you know, oh, relevant no. to now. I, I'm a big believer in, in <laughs> comedy filling the soul, so... Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But there is also, because I'm all I'm doing is watching telly at the moment, as I'm sure is everyone in (laughs) the world. But um, there's this program in the UK called It's a Sin. And it's really, really good. It's the it's the person who fronts the band years and years. They're a pop band. Okay. And they're the main character of this program that's set in the 80s. And it's about the AIDS pandemic and how it hits London. Oh, wow. And it's done really well and it's really good. Interesting. So I'd recommend that. I'd, I'd definitely recommend that. That's a good one. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for staying on so long with us. And I, I love your album and I wish yeah. you all the best coming up. I hope everything goes really well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It yeah. has been lovely to chat. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I wasn't kidding. That video for Whiskey is, um, besides being an awesome song, it's, I just, it was like, it really like pulled me in sitting here in my dark gray apartment in the (laughs) middle of winter, like suffering through COVID isolation. Yeah. Um, I just, I was in that field, man. It was nice. Yeah. Brought you right there, huh? Let me ask you this question. Cool video. Brad, let Mm. me ask you a question. Yeah. Say uh, it's a it's a warm spring day, and you're about to take take kids out of the picture. No kids. Okay. And you're going to a nice like daisy filled field to have like <laughs> just a couple hours. You know, a chill like a picnic. Yeah. What do you pack? What's your ideal picnic fare? Am I by myself or do I have a significant no, other? You're with your love. You're with a, lo- a lover, someone you love. <laughs> you're with someone you love. Um, a beautiful spring day. Everything about it is like you said in the video. We're we're at peace here, you know. Well, obviously, a nice chilled bottle of wine. Okay, chilled. Maybe, maybe, yeah. For some reason, I feel like outs- okay. outdoors, warm. Maybe a maybe a dry rosé. Yeah, sure, sure. Um. <laughs> and then uh jeez i don't know what do i bring to eat i mean i guess i've been in this situation right what did i have i'd imagine I'm, you've been in this situation I, you know i'm actually i've i haven't done it enough but um i have you know done some traveling and have always really liked the whole like kind of italian mm. european lunch where you just throw in sure. like a hard sausage and some cheese yeah and a thing of bread and a big sharp knife. Yeah, great. Nice and portable. A couple pears, you know. Yeah, some grapes maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. That's good. I think that's what I would do. Well, because you need like seasonably portable food too. Can't be taking right. ice cream out there. You right. know, you don't want uh, enchilada platters, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. That no, that's good. definitely it. I think like a nice hard like Italian sausage, maybe some like fresh like like Parmesan that, you know, that's a little soft that you can cut and put on a pear. I mean, okay, I'd go with like a provolone. Okay. You know? All right. Well, that's yeah, nice. Maybe a cheddar, a sharp cheddar to go with it too. And some, yeah, uh, you could have a few, some pairings, maybe a semi-soft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I love this. You want a semi-soft to go with my hard sausage? Stop it. I would, I would go on this picnic with you because I love sounds you, Brad. Sounds nice, right? And it sounds like a lovely day. Yeah, I would definitely the gurgling brook flowing underneath. I would just need something else to drink besides for that, that chilled rosé. It's not going to do it for me. I'm, I'm just going to do it. No, nah, I'm just going to have a headache and be kind of thirsty and like <laughs> a little drunk, but not drunk enough. Like, like that's, that's not a good place for me. I'd either okay. prefer like a scotch or an iced coffee. I don't like to be somewhere in the middle, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring you a bottle of water. Okay. Yeah. That'll work. <laughs> that'll work. Well, this is a lovely episode. Yeah, it was enjoyable, and I have to say, it's nice to get some estrogen on this show for a change. Not that we don't try, but, you know, know, what do they say? All our friends are freaking punk rock white guys. I know. <laughs> I even heard in another interview that she was talking about the band Muncie Girls has a large percentage of middle-aged white guys who are their fans and... She she inexplicably doesn't know why. And I had some theories, but I'm like, listen, I'm not outing me and Brad here. I'm like, I'm like, even though, you know, me and you have discussed it a lot. I don't know how white I am because I'm Jewish, but that's another conversation. You wish. I know. <laughs> you wish you were in the club, Betty. You're not allowed at the bearskin meetings. It's true. I'm not. But no, you're right. It is nice um, to get like just some different perspective. It's like a breath of fresh air to just yeah, talk yeah. To, to someone different, someone with a different perspective than we've been normally getting. I appreciate it a lot. And, and from a different continent. That was cool. Yeah. Too. And what she did is really um, brave. And I think it's mm-hmm. really powerful. And as we talked about in the interview, you know, I found myself using music as roadmaps for life and things that gave me empowerment. And I, you know, wasn't going through anything but like, you know, normal angst of a a, a teenager. And, you know, the idea that you can put something uh, out into the ether with music that can actually help people like see things about themselves and help them feel okay about themselves. And, move on with their lives and, you know, go with a breath fresh. I mean, I mean, what could be more impactful in music than doing that? And I really think her approach to making the record like that, not only doing it, but being sure to bash people over the head in the press release. <laughs> Seriously, it's super smart because she was yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, if you yeah. don't do that, the narrative gets gets taken from you and it gets moved in a different direction so she was like i'm certain this is the way i want to present it and this is the way you have to talk about it which is smart you know um and also i thought it was smart to do it all yourself because you know of what what she said just taking ownership over all of it so i don't know it's really uh it's a cool record to to stumble upon and and even an old 40 year old with tattoos questionably white can still be moved <laughs> by things like this. <laughs> yeah, go listen to it. It's yeah. great. And and um, if you want to check in on our socials, I mean, we'll link to them at Going Off Track. But uh, yeah, she's on Instagram at Landy Yo. Mm. Um, at Twitter, Landy Yo Landy. <laughs> um, you can also check out at Get Better Records. It's yeah. great. You know, 
It's a great label. Great label. Lots um, of good stuff going on. Muncie Girls. I'm also going to prop Ginger Dope here because I think I'm going to use this photo uh, that I found on the on the Instagrams on our uh, website. It was cool. Even if I don't, it's a cool uh, site. It's got some cool pictures of Landy. So check it out. Yeah, and thanks also to Martin Wisneska, who provided me with a mystery friend without ever speaking to me. That might have been oh, a first cool. for mystery friend. Yeah, you came through with that shit. Trickle down stories, which really worked. But again, thanks to Alex at Get Better Records for sorting that out for me. But and, uh, um, yeah, so we'll see you next week. Really cool guest next week. Something a little different. I'm I'm very uh, excited about. And, um, yeah, do the stuff if you can, you know, the, <laughs> the five stars, if you're not going to give it five, just don't do anything. I li- you know, just don't bother. Right. What about four and a super sexual, like, yeah. All right. I'll take that. If you're going to do a four, just leave. As long as yeah. there's like a reason not for the fifth star, like exactly. I was almost there when Brad cut back in. And that's why I took a star off. (laughs) (laughs) We got our worst rating when we interviewed Roger from Agnostic Front and some people thought we were fake-ass hardcore kids. (laughs) That was the worst review we ever got. I was like, yo, the fact that I like Snapcase, this is still following me? You know, I thought this ended in 1996. That is awesome. Awesome, bro. All right. Well, thanks to everyone, and uh, thanks to Landy by the record. Imagine peace and love, Brad. I'm I'm imagining it right now. Good. Good.